How important is unity with other believers? I mean, how highly should we value it? Is it a top priority? Is it a bottom priority? Or is it somewhere in between? We're going to talk about that today and a lot more on BibleStudyPodcasts.org, starting now. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to BibleStudyPodcasts.org. Today is Monday, October the 10th of 2011. As always, I'm your host, Toby Logsdon. God bless you guys. Thank you so much again for joining us today. Thanks for coming back to continue with us in this study on the book of Romans that we're doing. Today we're going to be covering Romans chapter 14, verse 19. Chapter 14, verse 19. So if you have your Bible with you, if you like to go through your Bible uh, while we go through the study, Turn to Romans chapter 14, verse 19. We'll get to that here in just a moment. But I hope you guys are doing well today. Uh, the last I uh, last time I, I gave a podcast, I believe it was actually kind of warm outside still. It is definitely fall here. It's gotten a little bit chilly, and uh, the rainy season is here. I guess uh, nine months of rain here in Seattle in exchange for uh, about three months of really great sun and uh, you know just moderate temperatures. I've been loving it. I, I've been absolutely loving it. This place is, is great. You can, uh, you, you guys know I'm a runner. I love to run. Um, and that's something that you can do pretty much all year round here. It's been really amazing. Uh, things are going really well at the church uh, here at Linwood Evangelical Free Church. Um, you know, we, we, uh, we just started a book study on Mark. We're doing a study of his gospel narrative. And so that's probably what we're going to be doing next here on BibleStudyPodcasts.org after we do the focus lessons. The focus lessons, again, uh, it's kind of a systematic theology, more or less, um, but not quite as uh, comprehensive as, you know, something like Dr. Geisler's books. Dr. Geisler wrote four volumes, and they're huge, uh, <laughs> but it's all on systematic theology. So hopefully you guys are enjoying that study, but yeah, I believe that our next study will probably put Mark up. Uh, I think you guys will enjoy that. But if you want to, uh, if you want to listen to it now, you can go onto the church's website, linwoodefc.org, and uh, click on services, and you can download the services from there. We don't have anything up on iTunes yet. We just do it through. Uh, through this, through BibleStudyPodcast.org. So if you want to start a new study, uh, by all means, feel free. Anyway, let's go ahead and get started with our lesson today. We're going to be covering Romans chapter 14, verse 19, but let's go ahead and start with a quick word of prayer. God, we just thank you for the opportunity to study your word. We thank you that your word is relevant to our lives and that it transforms our lives, Lord. We ask that today we would draw near to you and that we would be changed by your word. Make us more like you, Lord Jesus, for your glory, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm, I'm going to be honest and transparent with you guys for a minute here. I'm fairly convinced that when we started this study in the book of Romans, I was something of a legalist. Maybe not you know, a full-blown legalist, but more so than I am now, I think. Here we are, you know, almost five years after the first lesson that we did in the book of Romans, and I can definitely say that I am 
a much different person today than I was when we got started. And hopefully, you know, if you've been following along throughout the study, uh, you know, hopefully you're a different person than you were when you started this study too. God's Word does that. It changes us. It transforms us if, and that's a mighty big if, uh, if we take his word seriously. And of course, that's something that we should be doing. We should definitely take his word seriously. You know, when we started this study, I got to confess that I hadn't yet learned to make the distinction between what is essential to our faith and what isn't. Man, what a what a wonderful thing to learn, though, and what a marvelous transformation God's Word has made in my life. There's this tendency that we have as human beings to put others through the proverbial sausage grinder so that they come out thinking and believing every single thing that we do. You know what I mean? I mean, maybe they'll even listen to the same type of music or wear the same type of clothes. You know, I cannot even express how grateful I am to the Lord that He's pulled me away from that type of thinking. Well, one of the visual aids, I'm a visual learner. I I love to see things and hear things, but one of the visual aids that's helped me to focus on the liberty that we have as Christians to have different positions on things is, uh, is a cake with different levels of cake. At the base of the cake, you have the foundation. You have the foundational doctrines of Christianity, and that is the doctrines that are essential by definition to what it means to be a Christian, and so there's no room for negotiation on those doctrines. Uh, if you remember, a couple years ago, we did a study called The Essentials, and maybe you'll remember that some of those essential doctrines are uh, the sinlessness of Christ, the virgin birth of Christ, the substitutionary death of Christ, the triunity of God, or, or the the Trinity, the atoning work of Christ on Calvary, salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, etc., etc. You know, those are all essential doctrines of Christianity. Someone who denies any of these doctrines is not a follower of Jesus. And yes, that means that Mormonism is not a Christian denomination, contrary to uh, Rick Perry's understanding, as uh, was recently exposed in the news. Um, separate from The foundational doctrines are the doctrines that are non-essential. These are doctrines where there is liberty, where we should have liberty to grow and change and believe different things. Things where there's, there's room for difference of opinion and interpretation. So some examples of non-essential doctrines would be things like maybe the five doctrines of Calvinism, uh, methods of baptism, positions on the rapture, or positions on when the tribulation is, or how long it lasts, uh, structure of church government, and even methods and beliefs pertaining to communion. Uh, you know, picture these essential and non-essential categories kind of as layers of a cake. However, remember, Don't forget this. Remember that the cake has three layers. We've talked about two of them, but there's another layer that's actually in between those two, and that is the unity of believers. No, it's not an essential doctrine. There are definitely, uh, you know, legitimate followers of Jesus out there who place absolutely no value in having unity with other believers, but it's also not a non-essential doctrine because it's something that Jesus explicitly commanded his followers to do and to practice. You know, all of this is to get a visual image which reminds us that unity 
is more important. It's closer to the foundation uh, than any non-essential doctrine. So with that said, it's more important that we stand together, united by what we have in common, by our belief uh, in the essential doctrines of the faith, than it is that we bicker and squabble about non-essential beliefs. In fact, that's something that was not only extremely important to Jesus, it was also important to Paul as well. And, you know, I'm, I'm convinced that Paul actually had, you know, he had to wrestle against having a legalistic attitude. And he concluded that loving our brothers and sisters in Christ is more important than being right about something that ultimately has no significance in whether or not a person is saved. Paul came to realize that we have to pick our battles wisely and that we must learn to reflect the love and the grace toward one another that we've been shown by our gracious Lord Jesus Christ. The entire point of the 14th chapter of Romans, as we've been seeing, has been the importance of unity. And we've been instructed by Paul to be patient with one another, to honor each other above ourselves, and to be at peace with all men as much as it rests on ourselves. And we've seen that the essence of the Christian faith isn't found in external things, but that it's found in internal things. That is, a person's heart is more important than their actions. See, we can, we can all change our actions. We can all behave a, a certain way. I mean, even atheists can do that. But what we're driven by, that's what really matters. Is a person overlooking the possibility that they could make a fellow follower of Jesus sin? Are they trying to please God? Those questions are the key to real transformation in a person's life. And those are, those are the keys to living gracefully instead of by guilt. In our lesson today, Paul continues emphasizing the importance of unity among believers. And so he writes here in uh, Romans chapter 14, verse 19. So then, we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Now, we should immediately notice that this is actually a conclusion that Paul is reaching. The words, so then, are the same that can be translated as therefore. So it may start therefore, depending on what your translation is, or it might start with so then. Anyway, so then, he's talking about a conclusion here, and the premise that Paul builds this conclusion on is that the kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking, but about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's what we saw in verse 17. In other words, since the kingdom of God isn't about non-essential things, we should hold the unity of believers in higher regard than any non-essential belief we might have. Paul's telling us what we should consider worthy of pursuit here. And friends, it can be absolutely disastrous when we pursue the wrong things. When we pursue things that ultimately, you know, just aren't all that important, people can get trampled. It can cause people to sin, or just as bad, it can severely stunt their growth in the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to have to stand before the Lord someday and be faced with the fact that I caused someone to sin, or to even fall away from walking with Jesus. What a horrible thing to be confronted by. You know, it might be helpful to take a look at things which tend to create serious problems and consequently destroy harmony in the church. 
as um, as as many churches as there are that end up splitting, I'd say that this is definitely something that's that's worth taking note of. So let's start with an attitude of unforgiveness. That is definitely something that does not help create a spirit of unity. See, we're all human beings here. We're all going to make mistakes. We're going to offend others. And you know what? We're going to be offended from time to time. And when a lot of people come together regularly, you can count on that happening. It's almost a guarantee. And if we have an attitude that we're not going to forgive others, that we're just going to hold on to grudges, we're going to hold on and let bitterness fester, you know, it's not long before bitterness does creep in or sometimes comes storming in. And the harmony that we're supposed to have with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ is gone. It's destroyed. How can we ever refuse to forgive when our sin against God is infinitely greater? And yet he assures us that he'll forgive us anyway. See, when a person refuses to forgive, maybe it's because they fail to realize that all sin is ultimately against God. And so see, when a person sins against you, it's also against the Lord. And yet, God is willing to forgive them. And so thus, if you're not willing to forgive, if we're not willing to forgive others who offend us, we're exalting ourselves above God. Refusing to forgive is one thing that will absolutely destroy peace and unity every single time. And get this, in Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24, Jesus tells us that if we know that someone needs to forgive us, that is, if we know that they're holding something against us, a grudge or whatever, we're supposed to go to them. We're supposed to leave everything and go to them and make that our first priority, make reconciliation our first priority. In fact, Jesus says to do that before you even give your offerings to God. Jesus said, first, be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. So if somebody's upset with you, you're supposed to go and make things right. But then in Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, Jesus instructs us that we should approach others if they've sinned against us or offended us in any way. So see, it works both ways. What we can gather from this is that God wants us as brothers and sisters in Christ to be at peace with one another. And get this, this is the important part. The responsibility for reconciliation and restoration is always ours, whether we're the one who offended somebody else or whether they've offended us. We're designed to be a community of followers of Jesus who are characterized by grace, by grace. And a refusal to forgive others is always going to stand in the way of letting grace shine through our lives. Uh, Selfishness is another one. Selfishness is another obstacle that stands in the way of harmony among Christ followers. If we put our own ambitions, our own desires, and our own needs before the needs of others, we're really no different from any other human organization, if we're being honest. It's impossible to love someone and to simultaneously be selfish. Let me say that again. I want to make sure you get that. It's impossible to love someone and to simultaneously be selfish. To love someone means to value them above yourself. That is the biblical definition of love. And that means that we have to be able to practice humility. The church in Philippi 
was apparently having a great deal of trouble keeping the peace among themselves because everybody in there was seeking first, not the kingdom of God, everybody in there was seeking first the fulfillment of their own personal needs. And so Paul responded to that situation by writing to them saying, therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. That's from Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. And let me tell you, uh, just a side note here, I can't even tell you how many times I've brought this up with my kids when they were bickering over silly things. But see, what we see here is that there were two things that Paul was instructing them to turn away from, selfishness and empty conceit. The Greek word that gets translated empty conceit refers to something or someone that is falsely glorified. Somebody who's seeking glory but isn't really deserving of it, that's what empty conceit is. Those are two obstacles, selfishness and empty conceit. Those are two obstacles that'll stand in the way of harmonious love and unity among brothers and sisters in Christ every single time, friends. The instruction from Paul to the Philippians was don't do this but instead do that. So he urges them writing what they should do. He says, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's from Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Well, what was the attitude of Christ that Paul was urging the Philippians to have? It's humility. Humility. Jesus had an attitude of humility. He humbled himself so that he could provide for the need of all of humanity, and that was to be reconciled to God, so that he could provide for that need rather than providing for his own personal needs. When we do the same, there will be unity with other followers of Jesus. Now, I know that this is not a comprehensive list of things that tear down or stand in the way of unity among believers, but these are, sadly, commonly found in many churches, and they do prevent us and others from walking and growing in our spiritual lives. If we were to focus on all of them, man, we could do a whole series on the things that can get in the way of peace and harmony among believers. But instead of pursuing things that turn out to be obstacles, things that get in the way of, of harmony, Paul gives us two types of things to pursue here in his letter to the Romans. The first thing that he tells us to pursue here is things which make for peace. What are some of those things? Well, I'd put a spirit of forgiveness right at the top of the list. Like I said, you know, anytime you put a bunch of people together, feelings are going to get hurt somewhere, somehow. And so, yeah, got to have a spirit of forgiveness. That's near the top of the list. Humility, uh, selflessness, prayer, 
fellowship. And when I talk about fellowship, I mean doing life together, not because we have to, but because we want to, and so therefore we freely choose to. Uh, another thing might uh, might be not just having the mindset that church is something that we do on Sundays, but instead having the mindset that church is what we are every day. Or what about using our gifts, our spiritual gifts, to uh, to serve one another? You know, that falls under this category of things which make for peace. What about respecting those who are in authority over us? You know, pastors, teachers, uh, accountability partners, you know, whatever it might be, a Sunday school teacher. Absolutely, that, that goes on the list. We have to be willing to yield to others in order to have peace with others. But on the flip side of that, however, is that those in authority should never abuse their authority. That's one of the keys to keeping the peace with others and the harmony with others. The second command that Paul gives us here in Romans chapter 14, verse 19, the the second command that he lays out for us is to focus on the building up of one another. You know, we can be sure that this is something that the church in Rome was struggling with because when we compare Paul's words here with what he wrote to the church in Thessalonica, the Thessalonians, we see that he tells the latter group, the Thessalonians, to keep doing what they've been doing. He says, therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you also are doing. That's from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11. Notice, however, that Paul doesn't say just build up others. He doesn't just say build others up. Instead, he says build up one another. See, there's a huge difference between the two. He's essentially saying that we ourselves will also be built up when we commit ourselves to building others up. See, it's not natural to focus on others, especially others who are really different from us, you know, from who we are. And when we learn to put others before ourselves, we get built up. What happens is that we grow in Christ-likeness. That's how we play out that attitude of humility that Jesus had that Paul had written to the Philippians about. When we pursue things which make for peace and the building up of one another, we send a strong, strong message to the world and we grow in the likeness of Jesus. And friends, that's ultimately what it's all about. That's feasting on the meal rather than bickering over breadcrumbs. And that's how we get driven by grace instead of guilt. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for what your Son came to do, to not only redeem us, but to make us a community that grows together. Lord, we want to learn to yield to your commands. And I pray, Lord, that you would teach us to build up one another and to pursue the things which make for peace with one another. Lord, I pray that our actions, that our lives would reflect the grace that you've given us, that it would send a message to the world that would make them want what we've got. Lord, we thank you that you're a God who loves us and accepts us the way we are, but you love us too much to leave us the way we are. And so we pray, Lord, that you will continue transforming our lives through your word and as we study your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. This message has been brought to you by BibleStudyPodcast.org. We are a listener-supported ministry. If this is your first time listening to us, we thank you so much for joining us and we ask nothing further from you. But if this is a ministry that you rely on for regular spiritual teaching, we do depend on your financial support to keep us going and growing. 
If you'd like to make a donation to BibleStudyPodcast.org to keep us going and reaching thousands of people around the world, you can go to our website, BibleStudyPodcasts.org, and you can make a donation on the right-hand side by clicking on the support box. Again, we do rely on your support, and we thank you so much for your financial participation in this ministry, which enables us to continue in our mission of teaching timeless truths in these truthless times. God bless you. Thank you so much for listening today, and keep growing closer to Jesus.